Hey guys, welcome to episode three. Thanks for continuing to listen. Uh, this episode, I get to read from three characters' point of views. Well, not point of views, actually. I get to read from three characters' uh, voices. So this is the first time we see Yogmoth, Glacian, and Rebecca in the same room. We've read from all of their perspectives, and we've seen some overlap between the characters, but now they're all hanging out, and it is hella awkward. Uh, so get ready for the beginning of this weird triangle that they've got going on here. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this chapter and all the awkward tension that it has. Uh, it's starting to get into the real meat of it. Uh, let's uh, hack away at it, guys. Enjoy. Yogmoth stepped off Pilgrim Way and stood on a rocky overlook. The desert was a vast dun-colored disk far below. It did not seem so much a place, but a non-place. From this height, scrub brush and stunted trees seemed only lichens clutching to infertile stone. Footpaths and game trails formed a fragile net across the ground. A single long highway cut through the desert, linking the other eight Thrawn city-states to their capital, Halcyon. Yogmoth had walked every step along that highway. The Elder Council had revoked his banishment, had summoned him from the ends of the world, had demanded that he leave his exiled comrades and report to the capital of the Empire, but they had apparently felt no need to provide transportation. While he walked Pilgrim Way, hundreds of skyships had passed overhead. Cargoes of grain and ale were apparently more precious than Yogmoth. He didn't mind. Yogmoth was young, only 35, well-muscled and taller than most other Thrawn. His tanned skin withstood even the blazing desert sun, and thick black hair formed a natural visor over his eyes. Dirty and tattered travel robes hid a body turned to hard labor and deprivation. He didn't mind the deadly journey or the council's insulting disregard. He was used to both. Before receiving his summons, Yogmoth and all practitioners of medical healing had been officially banished from the Empire. Their exile concluded a civil war that had begun a hundred years ago. It had been a war of city-state sovereignty. When Halcyon solidified its position as the capital of the Empire, the war became politicized as a battle between artificers and eugenicists. Artificers believed in improving the Thrawn by building them bigger and better machines. Eugenicists believe in improving the Thrawn by dissecting and understanding the machines of biology. Both wanted to improve the Thrawn. There was no conflict between real artificers and real eugenicists. Each faction, though, was championed by a political party. The artificers by the elite imperialists, and the eugenicists by the Republican rabble. When the last of the rabble were defeated, their eugenicist champions were scapegoated and exiled. Yogmoth and his 200 followers had wandered for five years among lizardmen and minotaurs, goblins and orcs, studying the diseases that plagued them. The only other Thrawn the eugenicists ever saw were outcasts, lepers and lunatics. It was no matter. Lepers and lunatics aided Yogmoth's research of pathogens and contagions, Though the Elder Council had thought banishment would punish the eugenicists for their unorthodox approach to healing, it only provided a crucible in which to perfect their art. Disease and dysfunction were not caused by evil spirits or blocked mana pathways or lunar cycles. They were caused by tiny creatures that invaded a body much like an army might invade a nation. They were caused by malfunction of physical processes. The human body was no more than a complex mechanism, a machine like a mana rig. The Thrawn needn't rely on healers and their attendant monkery, 
a rigorous study of living organisms, proper function, common dysfunction, and disease species would, could render a completely material and mundane program for healing. Now the Elder Council was in need of Yagamas' new science. The great artificer Glacian was rotting like a common leper. Magic only made him worse. He had languished for a year in this pathetic state. At last, the outcast had been summoned. A smile spread across Yagmoth's lips. His own people finally realized they needed him. Now that they realized it, Yagmoth would never let them forget it. Below lay the desert. Above hovered beautiful, fabled Halcyon. Pilgrim Way connected the two, twisting its way up to the sheer face of the volcanic extrusion. It was a steep and treacherous passage. Always, the road from hell to heaven would be so. Now, Yagma stood only a few dozen paces from the gates of heaven. A white marble gateway towered above the narrow road. It was twice as wide and thrice as tall as any creature that could have made the journey to the top. Niches within the columns held ornately carved figures. To one side stood a nude and muscled man, and to the other a nude and muscled woman. They were the Thrawn's image of perfect beauty their limbs massive, and yet posed with a supple ease across their hairless frames. Yagmoth laughed darkly to himself. <laughs> he had seen human bodies inside and out, exploring every inch. Even healthy bodies never resembled these perfect figures. Of course they rejected my theories. They don't even know what their own bodies look like. Between the figures, gigantic gates of iron stood wide open, Power stones winked in the stout bars, jewels enchanted to repel rams and slay attackers. Through the gates fanned a white marble threshold, fronted by a clear stream. Architectural symbolism. When folk entered the city, the dust from the world below was washed from their feet. When folk left, their first steps beyond made dirt cake to their shoes. As he approached, Yogmoth stared in amazement at the artificial stream. What sort of people divert a river across a gate? We do, came a woman's quiet voice from the other side of the stream. Welcome to Halcyon, Master Yagmoth. He lifted his eyes to see a young woman wearing the white robes of a council member. The ceremonial garb fit her poorly, her hands fretted impatiently within the bulky sleeves, and the stole around her neck was uneven. Her tanned skin and sun-bleached hair show she was used to working outside, and her pale eyes were keen and impatient above the fussy robes. Even now, her gaze dipped toward the garment and she smiled in apology. Forgive my appearance. I came right from the infirmary. I had expected you would arrive there by way of aerial transport I dispatched to Phenon. Yogmoth waved her off. After piecing together water passage from Jamura and walking all the way to Phenon, I wasn't about to accept charity. Beneath her tan, the woman blushed prettily. Yes, my apologies for that as well. I had a battle even to get your banishment revoked. The council forbade me to send an escort. A glinted smile filled Yogmoth's face. It was a dazzling smile, and he knew it. So you're the one who fought to bring me back. Yes, the woman said. I am the one. My name is Rebecca. Ah, Rebecca, architect of Empyrean spaces, Yagmoth said, impressed. The flattering blush returned. You've heard of me? Even among outcasts and lepers you are known, yes, Yagmoth said. He looked down at the clear, cool stream that separated them. Rebecca stood on white marble and Yogmoth on dust. But we haven't heard of this. It is a ritual ablution, Rebecca said, again smiling an apology. It's meant to remind us that we are rising from the dust of the past into clean skies. What sort of people? It is my own design, Rebecca broke in. And I carved the father and mother Thrawn there beside the gates and designed much of what lies within. 
just so you know. Yogmoth patted dust from his canvas backpack. No little trickle will be enough to wash the world from me. I've got it under my fingernails and ground into my skin. Even my blood is one part mud. She stopped beside the stream and gestured him forward. Come here. I couldn't get you an aerial escort, but at least I can wash the feet that brought you here. Staring intently at the bowed figure, Yagma said, Perhaps Halcyon welcomes me after all. He stepped into the stream. Chill water snaked past laces and leather into the ragged stockings he wore. Mud streamed away in brown clouds. Rebecca's fingers deftly worked the laces loose. She tugged one boot off and then the stocking. Her touch was firm but gentle as she laved away the dirt of the road. She massaged calluses and soothed aching muscles. Then she eased the other boot loose. Yogmoth stood while she worked. His eyes traced the gate. Do you do the gem cutting as well? That is the work of my husband, Rebecca replied. The one who lies ill. The one you have been summoned to heal. Yogmoth pulled his foot from her hands. Your husband? He picked up his dripping boots and stockings and stepped from the stream into the white marble threshold. His wet feet slipped. Rebecca caught him. She was strong and sure-footed. She laughed. <laughs> that was an oversight of my design. Wet marble is slick. The laugh was contagious. <laughs> I see the symbolism. An outsider such as I can enter the city only with the aid of a citizen. Else he might fall on his ass, yes. Splendid symbolism. Rebecca said wryly. Here, lean on me until we reach the sedan chair. I have no other choice. You could fall on your ass. Not in such lovely company. Yogmoth leaned upon Rebecca as the two made their way beneath the shadow of the arch. Ice-colored stone formed a short tunnel. There was a gentle curve built into archway so that no one could glimpse the city before crossing the threshold, and none in the city could glimpse the outer world without leaving. The slowly rising path reminded entrance that they must ascend, and to ascend is work. Beyond the curve, Yogmoth caught his first glimpse of the lofty Halcyon. The city was splendid. Its sparkling districts rose through eight terraces towards the highest point, the western plateau. Streets of white brick mazed among three- and four-story townhouses in limestone. Roofs of blue tile topped the smaller and more conventional buildings. On the highest terrace towered minarets with onion domes, flying archways, and slender buttresses. A great stadium stood there, and beside it, the amphitheater, council hall, and high court. Libraries, archives, noble palaces, temples. The city crowded the eight terraces to the sheer edge of the extrusion. A wide, white wall surrounded it all. Archways in the wall led to five aerial ports where merchant caravels hovered. A beautiful city, Yagma said. A vision out of a dream. That building there, with the stacked white terraces and the ivy-covered apes, is the infirmary. That is where we are headed. Yogmoth nodded. I was about to observe that it seemed a pile of dishes ready to be washed, but of course, this was one of your designs? She cocked her head. You catch on quickly. She gestured to a nearby sedan chair. It was a low-slung seat encased in a fanciful framework of slender white bars. This is our ride. This? Yogmoth asked, gesturing to the delicate contraption. I'm used to riding in wagons filled with manure. Rebecca already was climbing in. Her bulky robes hung up on the sedan chair's frame, and she irritably tugged it free. Stick with me, Yogmoth, and the city is yours. It sounds as though I will. He settled into the seat beside her. It was covered in needlework of blue and black, and the dust of Yogmoth's robes slew off onto the fine fabric. He gently eased his pack into a small hold behind the seat. I brought all my m rather meager supplies. 
Oh, the infirmary has every possible supply, Rebecca said, checking the skies overhead. The healers are well stocked. I'm sure they'll have everything you need. Knives, bone saws, curved needles, tissue clamps, leeches, shunts, opiates, soporifics, spirits. A grim look came over Rebecca's face. I'm glad you brought your supplies. I forgot how revolutionary your treatments are. She cupped her hand beneath a power stone in a raised setting of silver. Her fingers gently contacted the stone and she pulled upward. Though the stone did not lift, the craft did. It glided smoothly and soundlessly up into the air. The vast gate fell away. Blue tile rooftops replaced white brick streets. Yagma stared, intrigued. Speaking of revolutionary, imagine that this gem is the sedan chair. By pressing the base of it, I lift the craft and us into the air. To turn, I merely press on one side or the other. To lift the bow or stern, I apply pressure there. And what if you let go? Yagmoth asked, pulling her hand away. The jewel remained where it had been, suspended on its mounting, and the craft remained in place as well. Rebecca smiled. It's my husband's design. You cannot fall from the sky. A chair could hang safely forever. Unless the power stones failed, Yagmoth said as the craft nosed about retreating rooftops. Power stones don't fail, Rebecca said. They do fail, Yagmoth said. They will fail. The white streets of the city jagged by below. Once charged, they're harder than diamonds, than adamantite. They are geometrically perfect, and unless geometry changes, they will not fail. Yagmoth pointed towards the edge of the infirmary, where workers clambered along scaffolds and cement forms. What happened to that wing of your infirmary? Rebecca stared sharply at the man, but the crap never faltered. You heard of the accident, then? Talk on the road? I had time to sort among travelers' stories, determine what emergency brought me, Yagmoth replied simply. That was an anomaly. That stone had not yet cooled when it was... when the untouchable drove... I think blood compromised its matrix. I heard there was blood on many of the gems. Did you dispose of them? Here we are, Rebecca said, bringing the sedan chair to land lightly atop the infirmary. Several other craft perched on birchen platforms that jutted out from the tile rooftop. A set of stairs led down from the spot. Rebecca released the power stone, climbed from the craft, and descended the stairs. Yogmoth grabbed his pack and followed. You did use them, didn't you? A doorway opened below, and Rebecca walked through it. We cleaned and checked every stone before employing it. None showed any sign of flaw or weakness. The truth is, you don't know what caused the implosion. He strode beside her down a gently lit corridor. You don't really know how power stones work. You've created a whole city that relies on an energy source that you do not understand. Magic, you say. It's magic. Oh, how clever. And then when the magic fails, you say simply, It must have been more magic. Look at this infirmary. It is a monument to superstition and quackery. You've placed your hopes in fakes and phonies. It's no wonder your genius husband is dying of a wasting disease. He had said this last as they strode through a doorway into a room where there sat a gray-haired man. The patient. He was clearly that in his power stone-driven wheelchair, was wan and haggard. His eyes and cheeks were sunken, his shoulders slumped. He looked up towards the two arrivals. His eyes set first on Rebecca and then shifted to Yogmoth. You must be Yogmoth. I'm Glacian, the genius husband dying of a wasting disease. Into the awkward silence, Yogmoth said, Not any longer. He slung the pack from his back and strode confidently toward the man in the chair. Yogmoth shucked his travel cloak to the floor set his pack on the bed, and flung back the flap. Dust settled onto the spread. He poured water from a pitcher into a basin and washed his hands to the elbows, then turning to his pack, he gingerly pulled forth a small knife, a set of tweezers, and several stoppered vials. No more muggery. We're going to discover the cause of your illness. 
and we're going to heal you. Glacian cast a long-suffered look at Rebecca and then gave a raspy sigh. You have to understand, you are no savior, Yogmoth. We are done with real healers. They have exhausted their techniques, and now in desperation we turn to you. We aren't setting aside witchery. We are summoning it. Glacian fixed the large man with a level stare. Your so-called methods are only too well known to us. I was amongst the elders who voted for your original banishment. If it were up to me, you would still be stuck in Farjamura, poking sticks in the backsides of syphilitic mules. But my wife fears for me, and the council in the city are terrified to do without me, and I am the only one who truly understands the machinery beneath this city. They are willing to try anything, and you, Yogmoth, you just barely qualify as anything. The men's eyes met. Hatred leapt like sparks between them. Glacian continued, You got one thing right, though. I am dying of a wasting illness. I am resigned to it. Only in that resignation do I let you poke and scrape. You cannot make me worse than death itself will shortly. Breaking eye contact, Yogmoth laughed lightly. <laughs> you wouldn't say that if you were a syphilitic mule. Glacian joined the man in laughter. The sound set Rebecca to breathing again. She had not caught a breath since entering the room. Her husband coughed raggedly, <coughs> and then said, Even if I were a syphilitic mule, I would still say it. Well then, Yagma said, it is up to me to convince you otherwise, you and the whole city. He crouched beside the chair. Now travel talks say there are lesions. Let's have a look. Glacian's eyes flared. Travel talk? The whole empire is worried, Yogmoth soothed. These words balmed the man's ego, and the fury in his eyes dimmed. Yogmoth said, In fact, you're not the only one suffering from this condition. In some of the city-states, it's become an endemic, if not an epidemic. Many of the poor have been infected. Your own caves of the damned are said to be rife with it. Even a few of the elite suffer from it, but of course, you are the first national treasure to have the disease. Now let's have a look. The worst spot is on his back, Rebecca said, hurrying to her husband's side and drawing the dressing gown back from the man's shoulder. Can you lean over? I lean over for no man, growled Glacian. As soon as you will discover. Then it's the bed, Yogmoth said. Glacian was suddenly in his arms. Yogmoth's movements were so quick and assured there was no time for objection. He conveyed his patient onto his belly on the bed and drew the robe summarily back from the man's body. Glacian lay there, small and panting. Glacian lay there, small and panting. His ribs showed through flesh the color of mushrooms. The skin was covered with a large mass of suppurating lesions. A hundred dark smudges schooled across one scalpula. A white substance oozed from the spots. Each lesion showed a dark tail that sank away into muscle. When did these first appear? Just after the attack, Rebecca said. They came one by one. The healers only made the spots worse. There are also sections on his belly and his left buttock. Ah, Glacian snipped. He'll want to be seeing that. No, Yogma said. Not today. Today what I want to see is this. He took the small knife he had brought from the pack and lightly scraped one of the filmy liquid from the lesions. Careful not to touch the substance himself, he wiped the stuff from the knife onto the lip of an unstoppered vial. He fastened the lid. This fluid will tell me much about the source of this ailment. It is lymph, one of the body's defenses against illness. Its composition will tell me what sort of disease your body fights. Shall I spit and piss in your jars too? mocked Glacian. Soon enough, Yagmoth replied. First... With a pair of tweezers, he lay hold to the end of one oily hair that protruded from a lesion. Tugging back and forth on the hair, he slowly cracked the skin around it. Glacian twitched with each pull. 
his hands clutched to the bed. <clears throat> Persistently, Yogmoth worked the hair until it pulled free, trailing a tattered section of flesh. He gingerly deposited it into another vial. This is a follicle, a specialized tissue. The effect of the illness on it will tell me much about the disease's means of spreading. Why don't you just carve up my back? Glacian protested. Yes, why not? Yogmoth replied, the tip of his knife sliced into the healthy skin just beyond one large lesion, with a slow precision that might have seemed relishing. Yogmoth insinuated the blade beneath the lesion, cutting deep enough to take the tail of the infection along with the main body. Glacian's knuckles grew white on the bed. Yogmoth finished the cut and drew the disc of skin up in a pair of tweezers. Dark blood welled up in the hole he had made. And this, this is the ailment in microcosm. This will tell me how it develops. He deposited the bloody item in a third vial. Gore began to run from the cut, and Yogmoth absently dropped a piece of bleached wool onto the spot. I'll say this for your methods. You understand how to inflict pain, Glacian said. Yogmoth smiled his dazzling smile. I have ways of preventing pain, opiates and the like, but I don't imagine you go in for that sort of witchery. Next time I will, Glacian said. Next time I will. Yogmoth nodded, stowing the vials in his tattered backpack. In the meantime, Rebecca, you must avoid touching any infected sites, the lymph or blood from your husband, even what appears to be healthy skin. We do not yet know how the disease spreads, person to person, and you are at grave risk of becoming infected yourself. Rebecca objected. But for over a year now I have touched him. You must cease, Yogmoth replied sternly. No skin-to-skin -skin contact, no fond caresses of hair, no kisses or hand-holding or embraces unless a clean linen separates you. You've only been here minutes, and you're trying to wrap me in cerements, Glacian said. Yogmoth quickly covered the man in a blanket and deposited him into the chair. I'm trying to keep your wife out of cerements. I'll be giving the same instruction to the healers who tend to you. He closed his backpack and lifted it and his cloak. Now, I need a bath and a rest and some place to work over my samples. Rebecca crouched beside her husband's chair, her hands nervously shied from the man's skin and clothes. Distractedly, she said, I've, I've arranged apartments nearby, a, a short walk, so you can easily reach my husband at any hour. There is a workplace, tables, cabinets, ample light, a splendid view. Another one of your designs? Yogmoth teased. When Rebecca nodded, he laughed. <laughs> Stick with me, you said, and the city will be yours. He took her arm and drew her up, away from her husband. I'm sticking with you.